0: Ashley Piltz was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia on September 12, 2007 at three years of age. She went through six months of chemotherapy. Connor Cruz was diagnosed with neuroblastoma on May 15, 2005 at the age of four. He went through four years of treatment. Both families were Christians. Both families prayed for healing. Both families enlisted many, many other people to pray with them. Both families love Jesus. Today, Ashley is doing quite well. She loves math and science, baseball, being a big sister, listening to music, she loves dancing, she loves animals. Connor is dead. why just let me repeat this both families were christian both families prayed for healing both families enlisted many many other people to pray for healing both families loved jesus why was one prayer answered and the other not and please don't give me a cliche answer The Cruz family prayed for healing, and God did not heal Connor. In fact, Connor would spend 200 nights in a hospital, have 14 surgeries, 40 blood transfusions, 24 rounds of chemo, two bone marrow transplants, while seeing specialists in Dallas, Houston, New York, and Guatemala. We knew the Connor family because they were getting chemo the same time our daughter was getting chemo. Why did God answer our prayer and heal our daughter? Why answer the Pilz's prayer and heal theirs, but not heal Connor? That's our topic today, unanswered prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it feels a little strange to be asking you in prayer, to help us understand unanswered prayer. But Lord, the reality is we've all been through times where you seemed silent, where things did not happen the way we wanted them to happen, sometimes in very, very painful ways. What do we do with that, Lord? Will you help us this morning? to understand better unanswered prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first thing that I want to say. It is universal. Everybody experiences this. Our readings were part of it this morning. So the psalm reading, um, this is relatively normal for some of David's psalms. O oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? This is not his first prayer for this. Whatever it is David is going through, this is not his first prayer. And you see these multiple times in the Psalms where David is crying out, Lord, how long? Why? Why won't you do something, Lord? Come on, Do something because he's not getting his prayer answered. The Hebrews reading that we had, it's interesting that as you go through this list, you have some amazing things. You have kingdoms that were conquered, justice enforced. You have people stopping the mouth of lions, quenching the power of fire, escaping the sword, putting foreign armies to flight, receiving back the dead. Those are some serious answers to prayer. And you have those that are being flogged and stoned. They're being sawed in two. They're being killed by the sword. They're destitute. They're mistreated. Why are some getting their prayers answered and kingdoms are toppling? And others, they're getting flogged or sawn in two. Why? Why? This is a universal experience, even to the point. So our gospel reading, and I hope you kind of heard something in this reading. That reading from John 17, that is Jesus praying. What is he praying for? That the church may be one. Now you tell me, today is the church one not even close. When he came into the garden and he said, let this cup pass from me, did God let the cup pass from him? No. It is a universal experience. Everybody will experience unanswered prayer. You are asking for something and God does not do it. You are asking for something and you don't even hear from God. It is totally silence right now. What are you praying for? What's going on in your life right now that you're like, God, I need help right now, and it's not coming? What's that job that you so desperately need, but he's not providing it? Who's that person that is sick that you really, really want to be well, but it's going downhill, and you see no indication it's getting better? What do we do with unanswered prayer? Because it is a real and genuine thing, and one thing I want everybody in this room to feel and to know before you leave. Just because a prayer is not being answered does not mean there's something wrong with you, nor does it mean you have to make things up and go, well, He's not doing it this way. He's doing it this thing over here. In fact, my first point is it's universal. My second point is this. Far too often we deal with it wrongly. Here's how. Number one, first we will say this. So I'm praying. God isn't responding. What is hindering my prayer in my life? And here's what happened. I challenge you to go to a Google search for why does God not answer prayer? I guarantee you almost every result you get is gonna give you some type of list of the things you're doing wrong. It's gonna ask you a bunch of questions like, is there sin in your life? What are your motives? Are they mixed motives? Do you have pride? Have you not forgiven somebody? It's like a checklist of things. All of these things, in fact, when I wrote on Facebook this past week that we're doing this thing on unanswered prayer, I actually had somebody write back and they said, they quoted Proverbs, if there's sin in your life, your prayer's an abomination to God. That is in the scriptures. But that is so incomplete. And here's what I mean. When you look at prayer like that, what you are doing is you're creating a checklist And then you're obligating God to fulfill that prayer once you finally finish your checklist. So here it is, the 12 things I'm supposed to be doing. What's wrong with that right off the bat? How did God save you in the first place? By grace. Do you really think he only answers your prayers because you're perfect now? But we start this checklist and we start going, well, there's that, oh, 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 maybe it's that. I've been treating this person badly. Now I'm going to go treat them right. Okay, so what if I start treating them right? Is God now obligated to answer your prayer? That is not how it should be done. In fact, most of these checklist items, their primary thing is not that God's not answering your prayer. These are just part of our Christian life. We should be looking at these things anyway. Like if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, it shouldn't be a, well, I need to forgive so he'll answer my prayer. It should be, I'm following Jesus who's forgiven me of all of my sins. I should be forgiving other people. It's not a checklist, and it has never been a checklist. And when you treat it that way, number one, you obligate God to something he's not obligated to. Number two, you are going a direction that you rarely see anybody in Scripture go. My point three is I wanna show you what people in Scripture do with unanswered prayer, because it's not a checklist. Now, here's the second part, and it's similar. The second thing that we do what is God doing that I just don't understand? All right, so here's the other side of it. My prayer's not being answered, but, and you'll find these too, you You'll find lots of websites that will say, God always answers your prayer. He's just doing it differently than, than what you're looking for. Or he's doing it a different timing. Or he's working behind the scenes over here, and you want it over here. All right, all of that may be true. But you don't ever see somebody in scripture when their prayer is not being answered start going, Well, maybe what God is doing is doing that thing over there. Or maybe it's this thing over here. Or maybe they are not speculating on things they don't know and then finding comfort in their own imaginations. I am sorry, but looking for signs. Hey, when Paul asked for the thorn to be removed, he asked once. Apparently, there was no response. So he asked again, and then he asked a third time. And then God said, my grace is sufficient for you, and Paul took that and went with it. He didn't ask once and then start going, okay, I asked, and God's not answering, so maybe he's answering in some other way. Let me look for some nebulous thing that I can try to interpret that might be God. No, he came right back to God. God, I didn't hear from you. Please remove this from me. I didn't hear from you. God, please remove this from me. And then God gave him an answer. He didn't remove it, but he did give him an answer. We are not called to make checklists. We are not called to try to discern in some way the, the the mysterious ways. I mean, my ways are not your ways. My ways are as high above yours as the heavens are above the earth. Do you really think you're going to figure that out? But we do all the time, because why? All of it gives us comfort. Because what is the hardest thing about unanswered prayer? The not having the answer, right? So what if I can instead focus my attention on, well, if I get these things right, all of a sudden I'm diverting my attention. Or let me figure out what God is doing over here, because then I can get comfort in it. Who are we not actually finding comfort in? God. Letting God be God. And here's the thing: either one of those approaches, they do have biblical evidence within scripture, but if you if you use them isolated and miss the whole they become really mechanical, right? Um, Google Translate, which has been great. I mean, it it has been very helpful to be able to translate between languages for people who don't speak those languages, but there's a limitation. A computer can only translate so well because there's connotations, there's context, there's ways of using words, and so no matter how good it gets, you can't just pop one word in and always get the right word out. That's too mechanical of an approach. In 2017, the Malaysian Defense Ministry put up an English version of their website, and they used Google Translate to translate everything. They took that website down within a few days because people were tweeting all kinds of mistakes that were on that website. Things like this. Their dress code for officers and staff is they must wear ethical clothing... I'm not sure what that actually means. The dr- and that dress code is not allowed in the workplace. But every Thursday is Mongoose Fight Day. And the clothing for that is any type of clothing that isn't for any other function. And women in particular must wear appropriate clothing that is neatly and politely in line with the practice of noble character and, ready for this, clothes that don't poke the eye. It's too mechanical. You can't just go A to B because there's a human relational element in it. The same thing is true in our prayers. It's not just, okay, well, God, don't do these things, and God answers my prayer. Or, God's not answering my prayer like this, He must be answering it like this, everything is good. It doesn't work that way. And I think deep down, when we are actually struggling through life, we know that. I think it is easy to deceive ourselves with easy answers because we don't like the pain, we don't like the unknown. We don't like going through what we can't see. How does this end? What will God do? How long am I gonna be in this? And so we are willing to accept easy answers when God has something more. So, how should we be looking at this? A better way to see unanswered prayer and to be honest, all prayer. Not just unanswered. We need to look at the nature of a fallen world that we are in and our expectations. So, the nature of a fallen world people get sick and die. People are born into terrible poverty. They are born with terrible limitations at times, physical and mental. People choose evil, and sometimes their choice affects everybody else. This is a fallen world where humans have chosen to go their own way away from God. That's the reality. And Jesus, one time, he is talking to the crowds, and he says, do you think that these Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate were somehow worse sinners than everybody else? Do you honestly think that the universe or God conspired against them because they were so bad? No, they got slaughtered because they live in a fallen world. And a fallen world is a mess. And here's the thing we've got to start with. Our king rules over all things. He is loving. He is good. He is wise. And he wants the best for the creation that he made. And in all of that wisdom and love and power and grace, he is letting the world run. God rarely Steps in and does something supernatural to change a circumstance. What he does is he changes people, but he rarely changes circumstances. And you may think, oh no, God's answered all of these prayers. I would challenge you to go see how many he hasn't. I would challenge you to go, look, here's what I know. When our daughter was getting chemo, that whole room was filled with kids most of them didn't come out. Ours did, but most of them did not. Because God rarely supernaturally intervenes just to change a circumstance. He changes people. Here's what's so fascinating. People get so upset with God because he's not just making this go away and that go away and that go away. But he is saying, you can help. Like you're my image. I made you to represent me and to change the world. But you just want to go live your own life in your sin and pay little attention to me. And you want me to come and change everything that you're partially responsible for. God wants to change us. Now, does God change circumstances? He does. But that should never be our expectation because it's actually the exception. And if you look through history, you will see that. The exception is God just comes in and goes, boom, everything's perfect. More often than not, he comes in and he goes, you can now be somebody different. I can change your heart. I can give you healing. I can give you wholeness. I can give you courage. You could be somebody that steps out and makes a difference in my name and represents me to the world. Our first thing is we need to accept reality. This is a fallen world, and that does not change God. In fact, here's the thing. Too often, our starting point is this over here. So God is loving, God is good, so if there's something bad, and I am asking that God fix it, nobody will say this, but it is what people think. He is obligated to act. And here's the way I know that we think this. Because when he doesn't, we begin to do this. What's wrong with God? Some people begin to go, does God really exist? Is God actually good? Because if he existed, he'd be fixing this. Why do we get to think that? See, that's not what they were thinking. In Scripture, they started from a fundamentally different point. God is the ruler of the universe. This is his place. He lovingly gave us life. But there is no obligation to him to have to fix everything because here's what he's going to do. He's literally going to fix everything. Not just one little thing at a time. He is going to redo the entire earth, the entire heavens, everything. A new heavens and a new earth. A new resurrected body for his people so that all things are new. So that there's never again sickness, never again tears, never again hurt or hate. All new. That's what he's doing. And that's where they start from. And so you get things like this. That psalm we read. Here's what David does at the end of it. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, here's their response to unanswered prayer. Golly, I wish I could fix this thing. Here is their response to unanswered prayer. Endurance. They keep going. They don't give up. Paul just keeps asking. David just keeps asking. They do not give up. They keep, they don't look for excuses. They don't look for, oh, maybe there's some weird things. They just keep asking. It's very relational. God, I'm gonna keep coming and coming and coming. But while they're doing it, I will trust in your steadfast love. They don't give up on God. They believe God and they worship God in the midst of unanswered prayer. How different is that than this? Maybe God's not good. Maybe God's left me. Maybe I'm totally messed up and that's why God's doing it. Maybe this is punishment. Let me be honest, I don't want you to raise your hand. Have you ever felt like your unanswered prayer is a punishment because of something you've done? I'm not sure I've ever talked to a Christian who somewhere in their past, they're wondering, was this just so bad that now God won't do this? That is so wrong. It is not about that. It is about continuing to come to my Father and going, you don't change. You never change. You are loving, you are wonderful, and I'm gonna keep trusting and praying, for you, praying to you no matter what. And that's what they do. The end of Hebrews, every one of those guys in that, in that chapter 11, the ones who conquered kingdoms and the ones who were sawn in two, they're all given the same description. By faith, they just kept going. They never made them stop. When they were thrown in prison and people were throwing stones at them, they weren't going, God, where are you? Or if they were, they were going, God, where are you? And I trust you. Because those two things aren't mutually exclusive. God, I'm really hurting. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. That's what they're doing all the way through. Everywhere you see it. David at one time loses his son. He prays for seven days. God save him, he's sick seven days. And when that child dies, David stands up, he washes himself, he goes into the house of God and worships, not because he's callous, but because he keeps trusting God. That is how we deal with unanswered prayer. It's not checklists, it's not us making things up to make ourselves try and feel better, it is us continuing to come to God until something takes place, and we just keep coming, and we keep coming, and we keep trusting His love, His grace, His power, because He never changes. And it's not just in Scripture that this happens. I want to read you something. Connor went four years prayer treatments, everything, four years, and he died. And just a couple days after he died, this is what his mother wrote, speaking to her son. You taught me about faith and about loving your heavenly father. You never once questioned God's goodness during this journey. You always expected healing to come You knew your father would never leave you, never forsake you. You wanted to tell the world about Jesus. Your words of encouragement to others battling cancer were, have courage and believe in Jesus. And that says it all. That's what you did. You walked your talk. And I know that we have all said that you lost your battle with cancer on Friday. But as I think about it, I realize you actually won the battle. We often think it is a tragedy when so, when, when so young passes away, but maybe we're looking at this all wrong. I think your reward, my sweet son, for your faithful, brave battle is that you are now dancing on golden streets in heaven holding the hand of Jesus. You have shed the pain and struggles that accompany a life on this earth and you are now rejoicing with the angels and feeling love like you have never known How can that be any kind of battle lost? Well done, my good and faithful son. We love you. We will miss you. Enjoy your well-earned reward. Always believing. And her name is Joy. That. No excuses. No, was it my fault? What did I do wrong? Where's my checklist? No, we prayed and we prayed and my son prayed and we sought the Lord and the Lord didn't answer it but he brought him to himself and he is healed now and we will, we will worship, we will keep believing because that is how we respond to unanswered prayer. It is real. It is not just what happens in the scriptures and it's not just something that only those who have some type of super faith can do. This is what every one of us can do when we choose to walk with our Father and to trust Him no matter what is going on in our lives. Endurance, trust, worship.